I mean, he just looked like a normal guy, had raggedy jeans on, nothing special, and he was breaking shots, like not a good shooter. So I walk by him and he turns to me and says, you know, the older you get, the legs go. Now being a shooting coach, I know that's not true, so I, I just can't let that slide. I can't let him get away with this falsity. <laughs> so I said, you know, it's not all about the legs, it's about how you generate the power, how you get your momentum into your shot. And I show him how to get more range on his shot and more power into a shot. He's making them and he's getting excited. You could tell he's just pumped up. Now the real players had to come out and start warming up for the game, so we had to get off the court. And I just said, hey, look, you know, if you want more drills, I'm more than happy to, to email them over to you. He's like, yeah, 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 I, I love them, I love them. So he pulls out his business card, he hands it to me, email on it, I slip it in my pocket, and I walk on my way so I can get five minutes before the game. Now, right before tip-off, I'm sitting behind the bench, and I'm curious, I'm like, who is this guy that I was just helping? I pull out this business card, and it reads, Mark Cuban, owner <laughs> of the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord. I'm your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. Our guest today is David Nurse, an NBA mindset coach, two times best-selling author, including the book Breakthrough. And he's one of the top 50 worldwide motivational speakers. He's been transforming the way hundreds of NBA players play on the court for most of his career. In fact, his method was dubbed as training athletes of the future because of his ability to teach them how to tap into different mindsets to become unstoppable. David, thanks so much for joining us. Wow, Brian, you make me sound really cool. Like when you were going through it, I was thinking about, who is this guy you're talking about? <laughs> and then it's me. You make me sound so cool, man. Thank you. I know. Well, hey, you've earned it. Like, and I, So one of the things I'm always curious about, like how do you get to be where you are? So I know you, we were talking before we came on air here about you you know, going to different basketball colleges and doing other things. How did you become a mindset coach for, the, you know, for NBA stars? Yeah, so let's, we'll spin it all the way back to the start. So grew up in this small, middle-of-nowhere cornfield town, Pella, Iowa, and literally all I wanted to do was play in the NBA. So every waking hour, I was outside shooting hoops in the snow or whatever it took, it was all based on playing in the NBA. So I grind my way to play college basketball. Now, I always wanted to play for the Iowa Hawkeyes. When you play in Iowa, when you're from Iowa, that's the NBA team, but I went up there and I asked them, like, I was going to go up there and tell them, hey, I, I want to come play for you. I'll even walk on. They told me I wasn't even good enough to sit the bench. So <laughs> I grind my way to play college basketball at Western Illinois. Still thinking, man, I'm going to play in the NBA. I have no backup plan, right? No backup plan. And I get to play professionally overseas after that. And I'm playing in Australia. I started off in Australia. And I was playing for this second division team in Australia. The big team, the top team, the Adelaide 36ers, the first division. And I wanted to play in that division. I knew I was good enough. So I went to this tryout. I was going to ask the owners for a tryout. Mustered up the courage, went into the, the owner's box and asked them, say, all I need is a tryout. And they basically said something in this Australian accent, mate, you got no chance of even making the team trying out. So once again, super rejected in the sport, the thing I thought it was going to do for my entire life. So now I'm playing over in Spain. Okay, now, like when we're talking about professional basketball, it sounds cool from the outside, but I was playing in more like the Will Ferrell semi-pro type of league, where it was more concerned about drinking beers at halftime than they were actually training to get better for the game. But I'm putting in these two-a-days of film study. And Brian, it is the first preseason game of the year. This is still preseason. 
Okay. So after the game, walk out to the arena. It's in the Basque region of Spain where they don't even speak Spanish up there. And the coach, a young coach, pulls me aside. And he says, David, you can't cut it. We're going to send you home. And it just like, man, hit me like a ton of bricks. Everything I poured into my life, still thinking I was going to play in the NBA. I was so far from it. It was taken away from my face, basically turned upside down, rubbed into dirt. And I have, I was sent home, sent packing. So I'm living on my parents' recliner chair for six months in Kansas City, feeling bad for myself, licking my wounds. No, no backup plan. And my mom would always say these motivational and inspirational quotes. And usually it was, whatever, mom, in one ear, out the other ear. And I remember it vividly. She was doing dishes and I was kicked back in the chair. She said, David, when one door closes, four open and an entire beachfront patio overlooking the ocean. And I was like, hold up, mom. I thought it was one door, one door. What's this four doors and beachfront patio? I need to know about this. And it hit me right there. Everything that I'd poured into my life to play in the NBA, everything, this optimization, film study, all of this wasn't necessarily for me to be able to play, but I was able to teach players with more God-given ability, seven foot height than athleticism to play in the NBA. So I made it my mission right then and there, I was going to coach in the NBA. Only issue is I didn't know anybody that was coaching in the NBA. I didn't have any connections. At the time, my uncle, who was now the head coach for the Toronto Raptors, was not in the NBA. And you know how family goes, it doesn't always help with connections all the time. So I hand wrote a letter to every NBA GM, every one of them. Just asking, you know, saying like, hey, I love your organization. If I can serve you in any way. And a month and a half goes by. One guy gets back to me. It's the GM of the Los Angeles Clippers, Gary Sachs. And we have a normal conversation. And at the end of it, he, was, he said, if you're ever out in L.A., look me up. We'll grab coffee. Now, basically saying good luck with the rest of your life. But I took it as an opportunity. I booked a ticket to be out in L.A. that next week, spent all my money, stole some of my parents' money. So I'd be out in L.A. to do a basketball camp so I didn't look desperate. I studied for this meeting and I go out there and, and we hit it off. Me and Gary Sachs have this great meeting and literally every NBA connection to Eric Spolstro, the Miami Heat, to all of these came from Gary Sachs right there. And I even ended up living with him when I moved to LA. He was in my wedding on my side. He's one of my closest friends just because I took that chance to reach out to all these NBA teams. Now, I also had to take action. So we're getting to the point of how this all came to buy. So I had, to, I had to take action. So all I could do was shoot. I had no athletic ability, two-inch vertical. So I custom-made these basketballs from China. Terrible leather. Don't do basketball deals with China. A white line down the middle so you could see the rotation on the ball. I had them sent to the Oakland Seaport. Hopped in my car, drove 29 hours out to Oakland, put these balls in my trunk, and spent the next five years driving around the country doing basketball camps for anybody that would take me in and literally sleeping on friends' couches who didn't even know I was their friends, sleeping in well-lit Walmart parking lots a lot of nights. And I even spent six months in New Mexico, think of this, six months in New Mexico doing basketball lessons for a junior girl in high school who didn't even like basketball. Her parents had just won the lottery and needed a tax write-off. So for <laughs> six months, I was a tax write-off. But I, man, I had this dream. I was on this mission, whatever it took to coach in the NBA. Fast forward five years, wake up in Melbourne, Australia. I'm doing a camp down there and, and I see this email and it says Brooklyn Nets shooting coach. I'm like, well, I don't know anybody from Brooklyn. So this is either a joke or spam. So I clicked that box, was going to delete it, but I'm curious. So I opened it up and the next week I'm the Brooklyn Nets shooting coach. So I had made it 
to the NBA, coaching in the NBA. Now, we can continue to get to the story of where that door shuts and leads me to teaching players on mindset and individual skills. But that's kind of my journey for how I got to the point of being able to coach and teach NBA players. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's really fascinating because you you yourself had to kind of change your mindset of, of what you wanted to do and, you know, all those things that you had learned without maybe even realizing you'd learned it and be able to apply that. So obviously you are one of those people that had to work really crazy hard just to get to one level. And you have these people that now that you're working with that you have to convince to have that same mindset or a similar mindset where their their floor is a lot up here from a from a talent ability standpoint. So how do you teach those types of people that that mindset, those people that are way ahead, maybe physically or or just coming in at a different place? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and the best of the best, and I've been blessed to be around a ton of NBA players, 28 NBA All-Star appearances, but the secret is they want to be coached. So the best people, the best players, they want to be coached and they understand that, hey, if it's a 1% difference maker for them, they're going to take it. Now, being able to actually apply that with these players is, is based on trust. Number one, they have to trust me. So every time that I've worked with a player, I get to know them, who they are, what motivates them, literally everything that makes them tick before I start telling them what to do. Because they're not going to listen to me if I just come in here like, hey, do this, do this. No, they're better than me. They're better at the sport that I'm teaching them. So I have to build trust. I have to see what areas that are actually their deficiencies, what attributes are their strengths, and, and and then just go through the process with them. Each person that I work with will have their own personalized blueprint to lead them to where they want to get. Because you have to show somebody to actually help them, especially people who really get it at the highest level, where can they get? What, what level can they continue to get to? Because most people will think, well, all right, I, I know I'm here, and it's really hard to see how much better you can be without somebody showing you that vision. So it's like, you're not able to believe if you don't see, but you have to teach people how to believe without seeing it and see it in that vision. So it's a accumulation of these players wanting to be coached, developing trust in a friendship with them. And when I got married, seven of the people in my wedding on my side were NBA players. <laughs> They're friends. Like we would have had a great NBA team. We had like three seven footers, I kid you not. <laughs> but it's all based on, on, on coming down to when I work with somebody or when anybody wants to teach somebody at the highest level, it has to be relational. It can't be transactional. And I've learned that many times the hard way of posting pictures with Jeremy Lin on social media and then him calling me out, be like, hey, man, I, I feel like you're using me. And come to be, me and Jeremy become very, very good friends. He's one of my best friends to this day. But it's, it's, it's how you're how you're, how you're treating that relationship. Are you cultivating it for a relation or are you just doing it for transaction? So basing, basing the trust and, I mean, obviously doing it time after time after time and getting these results is going to help for them to be able to trust me. And, and, and then you can follow up with that question and be like, well, how did you get in from the start of it? A lot of it is just acting like you've been there before. You have to end up in a room with an NBA player who's got nine-time all-star appearances with absolute unshakable confidence, even if you're scared as can be. If they see you sweat, they see you think that you don't know what you're talking about, just like speaking, if I step on stage and I'm questioning myself, everybody's going to question me. So it's that type of unshakable confidence in every room that you step into. 
So I really, I like how you've got, you know, sort of where you built yourself to be able to talk to NBA players. Um, how does that translate? So like I'm a dad sitting at a desk, you know, how does that, what you've gained and what you're able to impart to make these high level multimillionaires perform? How do you translate that message to somebody who works at a, a desk or obviously now hybrid or whatever it might be? How do you translate that message to people that are working in corporate America? Yeah, well, I mean, all the principles are the same. We're all trying to perform at a high level. We're all trying to either sell what we're doing, sell our personal brand, and we're all trying to grow. So it is competition at the core. Now, the NBA players go through it on uh, millions of eyes on them nightly, millions of dollars on the line, but the same concepts apply. Like, I'll teach NBA players multiple tools. I have a seven steps to unshakable confidence. And, and one of the main ones that I use with players, is what I call the personal highlight reel, which I also use with, with people in corporations, with stay-at-home moms, whoever it might be. You have a time in your life when you were just in the zone, when you were killing it. For play NBA players, it'll be some clips of their best games that we'll put together. For somebody else, they could be in a boardroom meeting. They could have had a great call, a great sales day, bake the best dinner for their kids a day, a time when you are at the top. Now, our, our body, our, our minds naturally want to tell us that that was just a flash in the pan, that was luck. But we've actually been there before, so we know that we can get there again. It's just how do we recreate that? And we recreate that with the stories that we continually tell ourselves. Because on average, we have 50,000 self-talk thoughts a day. And 40,000 of those, 80% of those are negative. So the stories that you're telling yourself, and if you're continually telling yourself that, well, this is just luck how I got there, that's what you're gonna believe. But if you continue to watch and visualize your personal highlight reel, which I have my NBA players do every morning before they step on the floor for practice and before they step on the floor for the game, this continues to build this mental muscle memory, which is the myelin wrapping in our brain that is going to build in these positive thoughts of us. So do that the next time that you're about to pick up the phone and make a call, a really big sales call. Visualize, when was that time that you were just on a streak of, man, I had 10 in a row, just sale after sale, my, my, my words were flowing. And if you can see that, if you can picture yourself doing that, if you can actually put yourself in that situation where you feel, if you can feel it, or if there's a, even if there's a smell that, that ties you to that memory, smell is three times more powerful than any other scent, it's going to kick you back into that stage. So the visualization piece is just one tool to use. There's many tools that can apply. I have a tool called the 17 second rule. And I did this at, through going with NBA players from workout to workout and I bring a stopwatch. And anytime that it seemed like they didn't want to start that workout, it was just one of those days, I'd hit start to see how long it took them once they got into action to actually be okay. Because our mind will tell us at the start, well, don't go through this, this is gonna be too hard. Or you go to the gym like, ah, no. But once you start, you're able to get through it. Once you pick up that phone, and you make that first call, you're good. You can get to the next one. 17 seconds was the average time it took for someone, one of the players, to be like, okay, well, we can get through this. So there's ways to implement that in your day. Like I take an ice cold shower every single morning, not because I love ice cold showers, but I know after 17 seconds, I've got through this suck situation that I can get through anything in the day. So there's a lot of different mindset tools that, that I'll use with NBA players that will be exactly applicable to any walk of life and any basically somebody who is who is driven and wanting to impact others. Two of the things that you advise people to do really surprised me. So one was to stop solving problems 
And the second thing you tell people to do is to eliminate goals. So I know that's two of five, but what I'm curious to know about those two specifically, like how does that actually work out? Yeah. So stop solving problems. Problems, you've done your research, man. That's from the break, the breakthrough book. I like that. <laughs> stop solving problems. Problems are just what we see at the surface. That's what comes uh, up on top. It's like if, if you have uh, a, a sickness or something, it's probably from somewhere else, or an injury, it's probably from somewhere else stemming from inside in your body. So the problems are what we see on the surface, but what is the root cause of that? So if we're hearing no and we're getting rejected on sales and say like, okay, that's the problem, but that's not what we're trying to solve. We have to solve the root issue of it. Are you okay? Do you have self-awareness, confidence in yourself? Like, does it matter if you hear no 30 times? Are you going to be confident the next one? Are you going to make tallies? This is a tool that I use. Tally every single time that you take a step forward to where you want to be, the person that you want to become. So for my wife, for example, we'll use this example. She's amazing, super, super talented actor, producer. And she hasn't hit anything since COVID struck like three years ago. She hasn't hit anything. Just small, real small thing. But she makes a tally every single time she gets an audition. So the next audition, even though she hasn't got them, even though she hasn't heard the yes, she walks into that room or Zoom with a ton of confidence because she knows she's put in the preparation. So at the core, the stop solving problems, the problem could be the no. That's what you hear. But what's under the surface? Like, Do you know who you are as opposed to what you do? And we build up the foundation, we build up the roots, and that's when the problems start to solve themselves because you address the actual issue of it. And eliminating goals, I love goals, but goals are just mile markers. <laughs> goals are mile markers to get you to where your mission is. So I'll give you this example. A player that I worked with is Domatis Sabonis. And in 2018, he came out to Santa Monica and we started training. I got to know him and I just asked him, hey, hey, like, what, what is your goal? And he said his goal is to be great. It's like, okay, well, that's really vague. That's what everybody says. So we got to really specify it. He said he wanted to be an NBA All-Star. This is 2018. Or when do you want to? He said, all right, 2020. We'll go two years. Two years. He was coming off the bench for the Pacers at this time. And so I was like, all right, when is the All-Star game? February 18th. What time? 7.30 p.m. Where at? Chicago, Illinois. So we put all of this down in his lock screen on his phone because this is a goal. And in your lock screen, Americans on average touch their phone 2,167 times a day. So if you see that, that's going to plug into your subconscious. But he also knew every, he was going to do something every single day that was going to get him closer to this goal. So 2020 rolls around, February 18th, 7.30 p.m., Chicago, Illinois. Domatis Sabonis is an NBA All-Star because he lived in getting to this goal, saw something that would lead him there, knew he was going to do something every single day to get there. But point being, that's not where his life ends. That's a goal. That's a mile marker. His mission is to be the greatest player from Lithuania. That's his mission. That's not a tangible thing that you can really put some like this single date that you're going to be on it. His dad was a Hall of Famer, so he wanted to be the best ever from Lithuania. So everything he does, these goals along the way, like a treasure map, the gold at the end, you're always going to have those X's that lead you along the way. So I think just just making goals is a little bit too small-minded. Have a mission, but have your goals, of course, be mile markers that lead you to that mission. 
I love, well, I'm a big Sabonis fan, so I, I've, uh, yeah, I love, I'm like, man, he's got some of the best assist numbers of any, like, big man in the in basketball. He's very underrated. Anyway, that's beside Taught the him point. everything he knows, Brian. Taught him everything. No. I know, I know. Hey, absolutely. Here's how you be 6'11", or whatever. But, uh, but uh, no, he's, yeah, I'm a big fan. But, but one of the things you said earlier is, uh, kind of ties into one of my next questions, is about purpose. I mean, like, finding your purpose is so important. What, what are your your advice for finding your own purpose for for each individual yeah so purpose i think purpose is more of not about what you do but who you're doing it for i think a lot of people get caught up in well my purpose well what am i going to do what is my purpose don't think about that as much as who you're doing it for is it for your family is it for your kids like even if you're working a job you don't necessarily want to do well can you work that job and going there with relentless consistency with joy and encouragement of others so that your kids see this as an example because that's the legacy you're going to live. So I think the first thing is really understanding, hey, who are you doing it for as opposed to what are you doing it? What are you doing? And then also, like, just think about what really juices you up. Like what excites you? What gets you going? If you weren't even going to make money, what is that that gets you going? Because we literally live in a day and age where you can basically make money doing anything. There's people making millions of dollars shooting YouTube videos of how to get through levels of video games. Like if you can think it, you can do it. So I I love people that are extremely obsessed with what they do. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but I think obsession gets a a bad term to it. Obsessed doesn't necessarily mean you're you're too into it. Like I don't want to be 80-20. I don't want to be just this hot kind of, kind of lukewarm type of thing. Like I, I want to be obsessed loving my wife. I want to be obsessed on the mission I'm, in, I'm on. I'm going to be obsessed with the gifts God have, has given me. And I believe he gives us every one of us gifts. He didn't create anybody and said, you know what? You're just going to be average and you're just going to go through the motions. So I love it when the people like you go to the coffee the coffee store and the barista's like, you know, this bean was roasted in Nicaragua, 37 degrees Fahrenheit. And like, I love that. I don't care what you're doing, but go all in with what you're doing. Because it's like, I, I give the, the example of, Brian, if you love playing the piano, just loved it, man. And I got you this beautiful grand piano for your birthday. And you put it in the corner and put a tarp over it. That's a slap in my face. That's like God giving us this amazing gift to use for the betterment of others. And we're like, you know what? Mm, ah, little Jimmy down the street doesn't think I'm good at it. I probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> and that's what most of us do. We defend ourselves. So finding your purpose is based on, first of all, understand who you're doing it for as opposed to what you're doing. And then just really take time. Think about like when you wake up in the morning, that's when you have the freshest ideas in your mind. What, what really juices you up? And could have impact not doing it for yourself if you're doing it for your bank account your followers nobody in the history of ever was on their deathbed and said you know what i made a lot of money for myself and i'm super happy so <laughs> who are you doing it for i you know one of the things i also like about you is that you've been an entrepreneur like um you've done these basketball camps around the world um and how is that entrepreneurial streak helped you in working with companies and, and uh, you know, whether it's a big country company or, you know, entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, I think it puts me in the same type of mindset as them. Instead of just being a coach, like I understand what goes in in the, in the daily work process of growing something that you want to grow. Like it is not easy. People see the end result of it and they see when people are running big companies and they've developed some great new product, like they see the end result of it, but they don't see the unseen hours that are put in. And it's it's what I say, like the, the NBA all-star formula really resonates well with entrepreneurs 
because it is having a gift, having a talent. You have to have a talent for something. That's what entrepreneurs do. And then you have to have insatiable drive. And insatiable drive is those unseen hours, those 10 years to become that overnight success when nobody else sees it. But you know it. You believe in it. And all entrepreneurs that are successful, they believe in it. You believe in it so hard that like maybe it's not even something that's great, but it, you believe in it so hard that everybody else around you has to believe in it. And they have the relentless consistency. Entrepreneurs that, that don't give, they have that don't give upness and they're just gonna keep going and keep going even if they get knocked down. Like they understand that, that seven point, so seven, there's a study, 7.2 of deemed successful billionaires, they or sorry, when they went through 7.2 major roadblocks, major failures, like Macy's flopping five times before it came became Macy's. Colonel Sanders took him a thousand and nine times before his his chicken was accepted at KFC. Entrepreneurs get it. It's a relentless consistency how you show up every day with that don't give upness. So I really uh, I I can really relate to entrepreneurs and growing these basketball camps, but also just being someone who is driven for impact, which, which entrepreneurs definitely are. The one thing you talk about is lending a hand. Um, and I've heard you got a pretty good story about how you've lent a stranger a hand and it ended up being big things. Anything that we do is in service for others, but yet we are too often caught up in ourselves. And true genuine service is, is literally comes down to giving your time and energy when it's not convenient for you. And this is tough for people to swallow because as driven type A people, we have a schedule. We have, well, I got this Zoom call in. I got this color cord coordinated calendar I got to stick to. But what if somebody needs our time? Like what if we are able to help somebody, literally change somebody's life? And I'm not the best at this. My wife will tell you I'm not the best at getting out of my own schedule. But I learned this, how massive it can be and the breakthroughs that can, that can happen through living in the service mode when I was coaching with the Nets. And we were down playing in Dallas, playing the Mavericks. And I love being the first person on the floor. It's just kind of my, my ambiance and the whole arena to myself. It's, it's just the best feeling there is. But this time there was another guy on the court before me. And he was shooting hoops and I had, to, I had to walk by his side to get to my side of the court. And I mean, he just looked like a normal guy and raggedy jeans on, nothing special. And he was breaking shots, like not a good shooter. So I walk by him and he turns to me and says, you know, the older you get, the legs go. Now, being a shooting coach, I know that's not true. So I, I just can't let that slide. I can't let him get away with this falsity. <laughs> so I said, you know, it's not all about the legs. It's about how you generate the power, how you get your momentum into your shot. And I could see he was intrigued, but I didn't want to give a stranger a 15, 20-minute lesson. I needed this time to myself. It was my routine. I had to have it. Three weeks prior, a friend of mine had challenged me to live in the service mode. So if I could help somebody, I would take the time. I'd stop and do it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give this guy some lessons. I'll show him a, a couple quick things. And, and I show him how to get more range on his shot and more power into a shot. He's making them and he's getting excited. You could tell he's just pumped up. Now, the real players had to come out and start warming up for the game. So we had to get off the court. And I just said, hey, look, you know, if you want more drills, I'm more than happy to, to email them over to you. He's like, yeah, 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 I, I love them, I love them. So he pulls out his business card, he hands it to me, email on it, I slip it in my pocket and I walk on my way so I can get five minutes before the game. Now, right before tip-off, I'm sitting behind a bench and I'm curious, I'm like, who is this guy that I was just helping? I pull out this business card and it reads Mark 
Cuban, owner <laughs> of the Dallas Mavericks. I just been helping Mark Cuban harness his inner power for something he was passionate about. He loves basketball. He loves shooting. And I was helping him. Now, Shark Tank wasn't the massive Shark Tank it was at the time. It was just kind of coming out. And, and my wife's an actor, and she'll tell you if we see any famous people here in, in L.A., I have no idea who they are. So I didn't know who he was. When I read the card, I sure knew who he was. But the point being is if I just been in my own and just whatever was was best for me, I would have never had that opportunity to meet him. Mark Cuban would never be in my life. I emailed him the next day, right? The next day, he got back to me within two minutes. I was like, doesn't <laughs> like, this guy have like 90,000 companies he's running? But now he's in my friendship network. I can email him or message him anytime I have any business advice. And that's, it's just an incredible testament to if you live open to serving others, these people can become Mark Cubans, but not necessarily everybody will be that, but everybody has a story, everybody has a purpose, and you can be the one who, through just serving, and I do this when I walk into a room. I think it's a really powerful tool for people to hear. When you walk into a room, or even pop up your computer to get on Zoom, say the word serve. Look at your hands, physically look at your hands. This is a tool that's with us at all times, and say the word serve. This is going to remind you before you step in that room, that it's not about you. It's about the people in that room. How can you serve them? And you know what that does for you too? It takes a ton of pressure off you. Because most people walk onto stage before they talk or walk into a meeting like, okay, well, I gotta look good. Like, how am I gonna do? How do I look? No, it has nothing to do with you. It's how you serve. And that just opens up just this just massive wave of breakthroughs that can occur. Here's how how much sense of a, a sense of humor God has. And just when you believe in yourself and you keep going and you look at these doors shutting, like I got fired from the Nets the year, we had a great year. We went from 28th to second in three point shooting percentage. And then a new coach came on after I had all this news media, GM promising deals and I was fired, door shut again. So that's when I came out to LA and literally I'm living uh, right on the, on the water where there's beachfront patio overlooking the ocean. But the funny thing is, and that's how I met my amazing, amazing wife. I would have never met her if I was still in Brooklyn without that door being shut in my face. But this year, the Iowa Hawkeyes reached out to me. This team that said I couldn't even walk on for them, asking me to help their coaches and their players. <laughs> Three years ago, the Adelaide 36ers owners call me and ask me if I can help them sell their team because I had connections to LeBron and KD's people. So I couldn't even try out for them, but I could help them sell the team. And I was consultant for the Japanese Basketball League for years, and I get an email from a coach asking if I can help him get a job. It was the same coach in Spain. So if you keep going and you keep going and you don't give up, and you believe in yourself, you believe in the mission that you're on, things like this happen. But if you get rejected and think it's the end, then it's the end. But if four doors open a beachfront patio overlooking the ocean, that's when it all comes back. Oh, yeah. Well, moms are the smartest. They know a whole lot more than we do. So that's that was pretty wise by your mom. She's a great philosopher. Moms are always <laughs> right. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for, for being part of it here. Uh, for those of you who are watching, listening, make sure to subscribe and, uh, and comment and encourage others to check it out. And also check out David Nurse at uh, premierspeakers.com and nationalspeakers.com. So again, David, thank you so much for being here on the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.